0: How can youth ministry create conditions in the lives of young people to help them find and experience authentic Christian joy? Delighted, What Teenagers Are Teaching the Church About Joy is a new book written from the unique perspectives of four authors Kenda Creasy Dean, Justin Forbes, Wes Ellis, and Abigail Visco Russert. In this episode, I talk with the authors about their fresh approaches towards youth ministry, reimagined through the lens of joy. We discuss looking at joy not as the end goal of youth ministry, but the beginning, and are reminded that joy only comes from experiencing how God delights in us. You're listening to The Distillery at Princeton Theological Seminary. So today I have with me the four authors of a new book entitled Delighted, What Teenagers Are Teaching the Church About Joy. I'll let each one of them introduce themselves just by name. Hi, I'm Kenda.
1: I'm Wes Ellis. This is Justin.
0: My name is
2: Abigail Visco-Russert.
0: Thank you, Kenda, Wes, Abigail, and Justin for joining me today. We're each in our homes, uh, connected virtually, and it's great to hear your voices and to be able to talk with you today. Thank you so much. I'm going to start with you, Kenda. Can you tell us a little bit about how did this book come about? The impetus of the book was
3: that we were all invited to... Uh, work with a project that lots and lots of scholars and youth ministry practitioners across the country were working with on joy and the good life through Yale university. As part of that, uh, we were invited to kind of reimagine what, what the relationship was to joy and passion. And so because passion has a particular relationship to both ecstasy and suffering, our conversations about joy went in that direction too. Each of us gave lectures at Yale on these subjects. And it was through those conversations
0: that the book took place. Okay. And so why have four authors for such a short book? (laughs) Well, because these
3: were the the new up and coming experts in these uh, different dimensions of joy. And they were all familiar with the theological foundations for youth ministry through passion, which is something that we had collectively worked on um, even while people were students here. So I think my answer would be because they're the best people in the room to talk about the subject.
0: What was it like to write a book, essentially writing a book in community?
4: Yeah. So writing a book in community, I mean, first off, Abigail, Wes, and I consider ourselves to be students and and now friends of Kinda's, but to be invited into this sort of process was an honor. And then it was just really fun and challenging and wonderful in its own right. I think that um, one of the things that happened behind the scenes of the book is that this is a truly sort of collective effort. I mean, there's not a, each person sort of has a chapter that they spearheaded, but there's not a chapter that you can't hear Abigail's voice in, for example, or that Wes didn't chime in on. And so it was really a beautiful collaboration of wrestling with, you know, what do we think about these ideas and what's your experience here? And the truth is that I trust, love and respect Kenda, Abigail, Wes enough to put an idea out there and have them just beat it up with me and say, well, what do we really think about that and push it further and further? And so I think that this book's, you know, I guess at the end of the day, the book uh, was a, a really sort of collaborative effort that. I wish actually the work of youth ministry would mirror that in a way. And so there's a lesson sort of uh, implicit to the book itself that, that maybe scholarship or ministry either or both uh, should not be done as an individual endeavor, but rather out of a community. So when I look back on this book, I think about the times that we had on uh, these writing retreats that we took and where these ideas were really born out of wrestling with them together, whether it was early in the morning or late at night or whatever, it was just beautiful in that way. So I'm kind of spoiled because I don't know that I want to do much else without a fun community like this.
3: <laughs> I, I would just add too that trust is really key for for this particular project because we wrestled hard with our own shortcomings in ministry, some of which is reflected in the book. But you know, this the project called into question a lot of our own prior assumptions and what we had learned over the years and where the stuff that we had been taught would work just didn't work. <laughs> and there was a lot of vulnerability. And these were people I trust with my life, with my children, with anybody else's children. And I loved the opportunity to that we could be taught by one another.
0: In a sense, the book is written actually out of friendship, which friendship pops up in the book, which we'll get to in a minute. So it's just interesting to note that it's written out of and originated with sort of teacher-student mentorship friendship and has evolved into more of a peer-colleague friendship. And we'll, like I said, we'll get to that in a second. But when we write, we usually have someone in mind that we hope will will read what we're writing. And so, Wes, can you, can you talk for the group, share with us a little bit about who you hope um, will read this book, who will pick it up and read it, and what do you hope is the takeaway for those that do?
1: Yeah, so... Really, the answer to that is youth workers. Uh, each of us are, you know, it's kind for Kenda to, to uh, say we're we're up and coming scholars or something, which we, we are all theologians and scholars in our own in our own right. But I think really foremost, Uh, We each identify ourselves as youth workers, and we really do care about that community, the community of people who are kind of on the front lines actually working with young people in churches and ministry contexts everywhere. So really, uh, youth workers are the people we want to benefit from this. We also want youth ministry educators uh, to read this and consume this because, uh, like we said, we're, we're all sort of theologically driven people as much as this is practical and helpful and accessible, uh, we hope that it really is challenging in some ways, some, some more implicit than others, uh, some of the key ways that we teach youth workers to engage uh, in ministry. So we really do want this to be helpful to people. And in that way, I think for each of us, uh, this is uh, our, a gift that we're giving, Are hoping that it's a gift to Uh, to people who are actually working with kids.
0: Abigail, um, what do you think is the kind of the win um, or what, what what do you hope will happen for the youth worker who reads this?
2: Well, first, I'd like to come alongside what Wes just said, a name that we're also really interested in having all kinds of youth ministers read this book. And by all kinds, I mean also the senior pastors in congregations of course, senior pastors are youth ministers, just like anybody else. We envision lay people engaging with this book. I just, I don't think it's limited to the traditional youth minister. And I don't think anyone on our team would say that either. But the win, as far as the win goes, you know, there's these three practices that we turn to, three ideas around which we build practices, really friendship, celebration, and confession. And I think a win for us would be to give people who are doing the work of youth ministry tools and resources to dig more deeply into those practices, whether it's through bringing this book to the work of their teams, reading it together as a team. I also think that we create some helpful theological language around and underneath different practices that can be used to foster and pursue friendship celebration and confession in youth ministry, I think that's just one win for us. That it could serve as a resource, really, for congregations directly.
1: And if if I could just say something too about the win, I, I, absolutely everything Abigail said is is uh, our hope and, and definitely true. I, th- I think another thing I would just add is is that I think what I hope for youth workers is that this book will will give a sense of of liberation a little bit, at least a sense of relief from the pressure of having to kind of manufacture joy in ministry. I think in youth ministry especially, but a lot of ministries uh, in the church, there's kind of this pressure to, to, to notch it up and to, to try to, to be flashier, you know, give out these resources that everybody really wants and be the best uh, we can be. And I, I hope that this book, by grounding ministry in joy, sort of frees people from the anxiety of having to do that all the time uh, by saying that, that joy is not the product of doing ministry the right way, but it's actually at the beginning. As a, it's a gift from God that empowers us to go do the difficult things of ministry, to engage in the difficult conversations of ministry knowing that God's joy goes before us and that the God who delights in us is going to greet us there. Yeah,
0: that's great. I am want to return to friendship because you do have a rich conversation about friendship in the book. And I mean, I'd go as far as to say, as you put a stake in the ground to reclaim uh, the word and the term and the theological understanding of friendship for ministry with young people. Um, Wes, you you worked on this chapter, so would you talk about the significance of friendship for youth ministry? Sort of the gift of it, and the possible pitfalls. Why why is it important to reclaim friendship for ministry with young people?
1: Yeah, well, friendship is is actually a, a hot topic in youth ministry, or, or it has been here and there, um, and but not necessarily in a good way. Uh, there's a lot of warnings to youth workers about the danger of being friends with young people in churches. It's often said you just you you know young people don't need another friend, they need a pastor or something like that. And I think for for us it just strikes us as kind of kind of wrong to think of friendship in that way or or there's something wrong with our definition of friendship. If you have to kind of choose between being an adult and a pastor uh, and actually being a friend. And so that was sort of our way into this. We really didn't start with friendship. We started with the idea of fidelity. The need that so much of our research has told us that young people have for relationships that are sort of those even if relationships, enduring kinds of relationships. And too often, in the church, we sort of demand fidelity from young people, and we don't really demonstrate it to them. Uh, We want them to to sign up for our ministry, but uh, our relationship with them sort of often is conditioned by that. So we're kind of trying to open up a space where we can think about uh, friendship theologically, to think about fidelity as friendship and friendship as sort of what joy looks like in the form of a relationship. And when relationships are grounded in joy, particularly in God's joy, God's delight in the world, uh, it, we're sort of liberated. We're sort of free to to welcome the difference between young people and adults and know that in, because really the pitfall of the wrong kind of friendship is that we will, Forget, we'll think that we, in order to be friends with young people, we must relinquish our responsibilities as adults, as youth workers. And the fact is, we are enabled because of, uh, in, with a theological vision of friendship, to maintain those responsibilities, but still enter into relationships with young people that really do participate in God's joy and delight. In for who they are in a non-transactional, in a free sort of way. I mean,
0: I know everyone's fingerprints are all over the book, but Abigail, I wonder if you can explain for folks just what, what is meant, what you all mean by celebration, and what does it have to do with joy, and why is it important to ministry with young people?
2: You know, one of the things that Kenda and I talk about in our chapter is this shift in how we think about and conceive of what celebration is—from something that we create to something that maybe we behold or are invited into in some way—I think what we mean by by celebration is, of course, any of those practices or really any response to the work that God is doing in the lives of young people in the midst and really betwixt and between. Uh, and around our ministry with young people and in and throughout our everyday lives. Um, celebration, we we really try to reframe it as a response. Um, and I think that has everything to do with joy. I think the other thing that we do in this chapter is we invite people to consider the ways in which joy and sorrow have a relationship with each other, that you cannot have joy without sorrow or no joy without sorrow. I think this is important for young people because I think it resonates with the experience of young people, certainly the emotional landscape of what it means to um, go through the stage of adolescent development, though I'm sure some of my colleagues would argue with me about whether or not we want to talk about it um, in that way. I'll pull from Wes here and say he's got a great quote that young people are human beings, not human becomings, And so maybe even a better way to say this is that, you know, joy and sorrow just have a relationship in our lives, no matter what age we are. And my hope is that, you know, for this chapter, it would help us be able to see more clearly the relationship between those two things um, in the lives of young people, and then give us the capacity to celebrate even when uh that celebration doesn't happen because of a realization or an aha moment that someone had in youth group but that we as ministers would be called sort of even to to just celebrate with young people no matter what they're experiencing in their lives when when they get to those places um or climb those mountains and get to the other side of their sorrow
3: one of the big takeaways from Abigail's insights in this chapter has to do with the fact that, you know, we just spend an awful lot of our time. This, I guess, is a theme in all of the chapters, but we spend so much of our time in youth ministry trying to manufacture responses. You know, we want people to have a response to God. We want people to have a response to the activity that we plan. We want them to feel certain things. And, you know, if you ask people how possible it is to manufacture those kinds of feelings, most of us would say, you can't do it. And yet we spend an enormous amount of our time doing exactly that. You know, if there's one thing I think that um, our, our season of pandemic might teach us, it's that, you know, we, we can relax a little ter- in terms of manufacturing some of this stuff. That to respond to what God is doing honestly and authentically is the kind of celebration that we see in the stories that Abigail mentioned and is the kind of celebration that feels authentic to young people too.
0: Great. In the book, the third thing you focus on is the importance of confession in youth ministry. In that chapter, you say this. I pulled a little phrase out that struck me. It says, the practice of confession is basic to our faith, but it is an underappreciated source of sustenance for youth ministry. Justin, would you unpack that statement a little bit, and how how can confession be a source of life and vitality for a youth ministry, and what does it have to do with joy?
4: I'm actually really excited to talk about this, because Kenda and Abigail just sort of opened the door for me to go here. The idea that youth ministry has to always feel good, or that if we can only imagine celebration or friendship in the context of moments that feel like a win— Then we all kind of agreed like what kind of youth ministry is that that's not very honest it's not it doesn't actually sound like the experience i had for the first 10 years or so of doing youth ministry and and so i remember sitting in Kenda's living room as we were batting around different ideas and i said you know i what i want to talk about is what is joy in the face of like utter failure and so confession sort of came out of that at the other end of the conversation but It just felt like if we can't talk about joy in the face of despair, if we can't talk about joy in places that feel like failure, then what's the point of it? Like if it doesn't have teeth to sort of like uh, really sort of exist in a meaningful, painful place, then it's just fleeting and it's fragile. And what's the point? You know, Um, and I think to what Kenda and Abigail have mentioned already, even Wes earlier, like that's often what a lot of youth ministers feel like they're supposed to manufacture or create is these you know feel good everything's going well sort of moments but the truth is if you do youth ministry long enough of course you get to do some weddings and and some baptisms but if you do youth ministry long enough you're going to bury kids too and so we have to wrestle with what does joy look like in those moments and I think that for the story that I sort of used in uh in this chapter was um it was a story of utter failure And it's a story that honestly, my wife and I still really wrestle with. Um, I I talked about our experience as foster parents and a young man that came into our care for about three and a half months. And I mean, to be honest with you, Dale, he just uh, took everything that we had to give and it wasn't enough. And we couldn't be for him who he needed us to be. And we did the sort of uh, the thing that foster parents are terrified of doing, which is putting him back into the system to go to another home because we all know that that sort of compounding trauma uh, upon trauma upon trauma is what's going to really hurt him even more and yet we had to we were at this point where we didn't know what else to do and we just failed flat out you know and what's been interesting for my wife and I as we continue to process this um, is that we have been taking this uh, trust-based relational intervention course at TCU it's a A methodology to care for young people that have experienced significant trauma and every lecture every video every assignment our head just sort of falls because we realized that was troy that was troy that was troy and we had no clue what we were doing so our sort of failure has continued as we reflect and yet there was this experience of joy uh, in the midst or in the act i guess of confessing that we couldn't be for him what he needed because it led us to a place of saying we never could have been for him what he needed. We never could have in the first place. And so it was actually failure that invited us to confess, which then invited us to sort of embrace or, or to sort of rest in the assurance of pardon that we're, you know, that we hear every Sunday morning. Uh, when I think about our experience right now of this pandemic and what I miss about corporate worship, you know, I miss singing, I miss You know, all the grandpas and grandmas of the church loving on my kids and things like that. But I miss getting up and walking forward for communion more than anything else and watching the church stand up and embrace their need, embrace their vulnerability, embrace the fact that they are not enough. And they walk forward with their hands out begging for the body and blood of Christ, begging for the presence of God. That's what I miss the most. And it's, it, you know, I think it, it makes sense to me that my experience of missing that sort of very physical every week, weekend, week out reminder of my dependency of God, that has to be the way that we think about youth ministry. I mean, the alternative would be to think that you really can create joy, that you really can be for kids what they need. And I think that if you're in the game long enough, you realize there's just no chance of doing that. There's just no way. And so, you know, I'd say for for me, the act of confession has been the only way to be honest with myself, my experience of young people, and at the end of the day, you know, I talk about uh, hoping for these kids, and and I think there's it's sort of an audacious thing to do to hope for kids in the foster care system because everything is stacked against them, and that's often true of the kids that we're loving and serving in youth ministry as well. But I think it's in the act of confession and hearing the love of God sort of returning to that core identity of being loved by God. It's the only way that we can have a shred of hope for these young people. And so I think that's the the gift of confession.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Justin. As we're recording this conversation today, you know, Justin's a couple of you already referred to the to the pandemic and youth workers. Now, well, for about two and a half months or so, now have been finding their way through shelter-in-place orders and the fear that that brings, the confinement, the all all the stuff that comes with that. And now, also the last few days, the tensions of our country's racial injustices have erupted again um, over the killing of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. And how how do you think this book can speak? To youth workers who are ministering in these circumstances. I'm not sure that joy um, is a word most of us have been focusing on um, the last, these most recent days and the last few months. Where does joy factor into our ministry with teenagers in this particular moment? Well, Abigail was mentioning
3: um, a line from Willie Jennings earlier that I think might be the, uh, a good starting place, we've all been influenced a lot by Willie Jennings' work, and particularly around joy, and he talks about joy as an act of resistance. And in a lot of ways, I think the pandemic challenges us to be the church that can resist these death-dealing cultural um, tendencies, right? Right. So whether it's pandemic or whether it's brutality, whether it's racism, whatever it is, to be able to be joyful in the midst of acknowledging and naming real suffering and real pain is the act of resistance that I think the church generally, and young people are particularly suited for this, I think to enact in this particular time and place. Abigail, I'd love for you to take that further.
2: So the Willie Jennings quote is uh, from a conversation that he was having with Miroslav Wolf around joy. And he says, joy is an act of resistance to despair and all its forces. And I think uh, what this quote does for me is... Again, it speaks to my understanding of how joy functions in our lives. And I mentioned earlier about joy and sorrow having a relationship. And I think that this quote reminds me that, that A, joy is not disconnected from sorrow. But Jennings also names that joy does not, it doesn't let despair have the final word. That's, that's my read of it. There's, there's this resistance to despair and all its forces and I think part of where I see that manifesting itself and and why it's important for young people right now is we see young people all across the country calling us to movement, to action, to activity, to that active work of resistance. And... Uh, my prayer, I think, in the wake of, of thinking about this quote and also the work of so many young people right now to help us um, acknowledge the places where despair is threatening to have the final word is that we wouldn't lose energy around that. And that also we would be able to name the 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 sorrow, the great sorrow of this moment and look for and have eyes to see the places where where that joy bubbles up, even in the midst of our sorrow.
1: I think it's humbling to think about joy in the midst of something like this, and yet it, it, it sort of makes sense. And I think what I want to say for, for youth workers and for this book in particular is we don't have any uh, presumption that this book can solve the COVID-19 pandemic, or and by no means does, does friendship Solve racism, uh, you know. Dr. Shanika Walker Barnes uh, mentioned that in the podcast uh, on this podcast a few episodes ago, and and that's all that's all true. And and in that way, we're not really uh, offering a way out. <laughs> but what I think this, that joy can give us, and what hopefully this book can give to youth workers, it is a way in, is a way into the painful. And challenging and sometimes heart-wrenching conversations that are required of youth ministry right now, and to enter into those conversations with the courage and the hope of knowing that that joy sort of goes before us. Uh, you know, if we're if joy is resistance, then I think right now what we are resisting is a kind of resignation, uh, either a resignation of despair that says man everything is actually just bad uh, or a resignation of presumption that just says actually this is as good as it gets Uh, and i think joy challenges both of those kinds of resignation and it challenges them by saying uh no actually everything isn't bad Uh, the god who created the universe takes delight in us enough to bring us back to life and no, this is not as good as it gets the joy is a force in the world that brings life and brings uh brings about newness and 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 uh can awaken us from from slumber and from death and so i, I guess um what I hope that thinking about joy can do in a time like this is help us be courageous in walking into those conversations with young people who are definitely wrestling with and thinking about and are personally challenged by uh, the challenges that we're facing as a society. So um, that's maybe a kind of a modest hope and at the same time, a pretty bold one is uh, is uh, that that we can give some perspective here and a way into these conversations.
4: I was thinking about what we're waiting for is resurrection, right? I mean, like we're looking and waiting and anticipating resurrection. And I think the joy is sort of this bold choice to uh, like the quote from Willie Jennings to resist uh, and to embrace uh, what resurrection might begin to look like Um, maybe a bit of uh, vulnerability for myself. I, uh, I sat with my 12 year old daughter last night who is African American and she had a full blown panic attack after sort of seeing the riots and talking about things for the last couple of days. And we you know, said goodnight, and she walked into her room, and she laid down in bed. And just a few minutes later, we heard this wailing coming from her room. And so we walked in there and found her sobbing in her bed. And we just climbed up in her bed with her and sat with her and waited for her to be able to breathe and to calm down for a moment and then to express her fear and anxiety. And I don't know what youth ministry is if it's not just sitting with someone in the midst of a very honest, sober acknowledgement of what's happening, but it's in that act of sitting together and being together that we can begin to sort of embody or practice joy and hope and, and to point to something that might look like, or or maybe wait for a resurrection. Um, I don't know what that means for us and our family. Um, I don't know what that means for my friends that I've been on the phone with these last couple of days at all. I don't pretend to have those answers. Um, I know, though, that uh, one of the only things I think I actually can do as a white middle aged male, you know, endowed with all the privilege of the world um, is to try and say, hey, I want to be with you in this and you're not alone. Um, But I mean, I think the, the problem with asking this sort of question right now is that, um, I'm not the one who holds those answers, and so I, I would default to uh, my friends who are are experiencing this in a very different way. But as a parent of a young African American woman um, who you know has absorbed that pain and that suffering over these last couple of days, and is very aware, you know, I think the only thing I could have to offer for that would be the choice of sitting with her. And I would imagine uh, the relationships and friendships that we have in ministry. The choice that we have right now is one of solidarity, and one of shared suffering, uh, to be with people, um, and I think it's joy that gives us the courage to do that.
3: I think the the, I suppose the one piece that I would be hopeful people are reminded about um, through this book is that um, joy is not cheap, and it is its relationship to suffering is direct and deep. And, um, you know, anybody who, any any parent knows that when you hold an infant who has not done a darn thing except, you know, poop and cry, it does not diminish anything about your delight in that child. That, That child simply is a source of delight by the very fact of her being. And that, so... If that's kind of the analogy. That is the posture that God has towards us. It is one of deep, profound, unearned, but freely given delight and joy in somebody who is who has the potential to be something amazing, but but the verdict's still out. And so that's the posture that we would like to um, invite people in ministry into as well, where um, instead of having joy be the punctuation in a posture of distrust or anger or fear, flip that so that moments of anger and anguish are punctuation in a posture of joy, where we can behold one another, as Abigail said, where we can behold each other through friendship and through celebration and through confession, just being honest. in ways that, you know, we don't have to pretend that everything's okay. We don't have to pretend that we have all the answers. One thing to hear loud and clear is that joy is not an answer. This book is not an answer. It's a description of, you know, what a bunch of youth workers have felt like trying to do youth ministry in the context of joy. And the thing is everybody in youth ministry at the end of the day, somehow already knows this. Because if you ask anybody in youth ministry why they do this, at the end of the day, there's no good reason Mm -hmm. except they love it. They love these kids. They find joy in this work. There is no rational reason that you would put yourself in a situation where kids are in a lot of pain. Accept that you do this for joy.
0: We know that, and we wanted to just unpack that a little. Thank you. Thanks, Kenda, and Justin, Wes, and Abigail. It's great to talk with you guys today. Thanks a bunch. It's great to be here.
4: Thanks, Dale. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to The Distillery at Princeton Theological Seminary. Interviews are conducted by me, Dale Rounds. And me, Sherry Osting. Our producer is Ni Ado abrams and our assistant producer is Amar Peterman. The Distillery is part of The Thread, an online platform with resources on culture, spiritual formation, and leadership. To find out more, visit thethread.ptsem.edu. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And while you're at it, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Until next time, thanks for listening.